Hey there, filled with messages, friends. I hope you're having a great day. If you don't know me, my name is the Reverend Ruth Farrell, and I'm the lead pastor at St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois. As soon as my dad hears the opening notes of the twist at a wedding, he shoots up out of his chair and hits the dance floor. At my brother's wedding, my little cousin Alex, who is not so little anymore, pulled her parents out of their seats when Umptown Funk started to play, and in a blink of an eye, they were shimmying on the parquet. My Uncle Carl is famous for his electric slide. Boogie, woogie, woogie. What's your favorite song to dance to at a wedding? Perhaps you're a celebration fan. I mean, who doesn't start grooving when Cool and the Gang start crooning? If you're into more recent music, maybe your favorite is Shut Up and Dance with Me or Beyonce's Crazy in Love. As I ponder today's scripture text, which takes place at a wedding, I kept wondering, if Jesus was walking around the earth today, what would his favorite song to dance to be at a wedding? Before you roll your eyes at me and call me ridiculous for considering this, What if you just let the question and its silliness be okay? What if you just enjoy dreaming about the answer? I promise it's not heretical. So often we take scripture and faith so seriously, but Jesus had a good time when he walked around the Judean countryside, and I'm quite sure he'd like us to do the same as we walk through our lives, because Jesus came to help us live life to the fullest. Hear these words from John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars of water, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and that his disciples believed in him. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts May they nudge us along our journeys to believe, to trust in Jesus more and more every day. Amen. Before I became a pastor, I moonlit as a wedding planner. At every wedding I worked, inevitably some detail was forgotten or left undone. Usually it was something easily fixed or, quite frankly, not important anyway. I don't remember ever having any major disasters, like forgetting to make sure we had enough beverages to get through the entire reception. I'm sure the bride and groom's families at the wedding Jesus attended didn't mean to not have enough wine. Wine and beer were the primary beverages in Jesus' day, as water was too dangerous to drink on its own, 
so it was legitimately a major problem to run out of wine midway through the week-long wedding reception. It was also common for wedding guests to bring wine with them to the party, so there should have been more than enough wine. But somehow, perhaps the Holy Spirit was doing her thing, everyone forgot to double-check there were enough libations to keep everyone dancing day and night for a week. How would you react if you went to a wedding and they ran out of wine? Perhaps you'd laugh about how apparently there are a bunch of lushes at this wedding and then keep on busting a move. Or maybe you'd make a little snide remark about the family being cheap. How often have you heard someone make a disparaging comment when a wedding doesn't have an open bar? Most of us would likely begin to think that the reception had run its course and start to leave. At the wedding Jesus attended, similar thoughts likely ran through the guests' minds as the rumor began to circulate that they were out of wine. It's possible one of the reasons the wedding ran out of wine was because the bride and groom's families and their guests lacked the means to provide enough for the week-long celebration. In other words, it's possible that they ran out of wine because everyone attending was impoverished. Jesus' mother, Mary, didn't want her friends There are even hints in the text that perhaps the bride or groom were family to Mary. She didn't want them to be shamed because they couldn't or didn't have enough wine to keep the party going. She wanted to protect their dignity and ensure the marriage would start off on the right foot. Perhaps Mary's empathy was driven by remembering the inauspicious beginning to her own marriage. So she started looking for ways to help. How long do you think it took the idea to begin to form in Mary's mind? Maybe she saw her son on the dance floor, laughing and enjoying life with his friends, and suddenly knew not just how to save the wedding and her friend's reputations, but also how to nudge her son to be his whole self, not just in private, but in public too, to begin to show people the fullness of who he was. I wonder if Mary scurried right up to her son in front of everyone, or if she took him to the side to share her quote-unquote suggestion with him. Son, they are out of wine. Mom, Jesus answered. Actually, the word Jesus uses is very formal, more like madam than mother or even woman, as our English translations like to render it. This word isn't angry or rude. It's just putting some very formal space between Jesus and his mom. He's telling her to back off. I personally love that Jesus answers this way. It's so delightful to me because it's so human. Likely all of us have had a moment when our mother or someone who showed us mothering love asked us to do something we didn't want to do, and we responded by trying to put some distance between us. Trying to keep his mom at arm's length, Jesus asked Mary, what does this have to do with me? Jesus was trying to hide behind good boundaries. He was trying to tell Mary that it wasn't his job or her job to save the wedding, even if the bride and groom were related to them. Seemingly intuiting he wasn't getting anywhere with that argument, Jesus added, my time hasn't come yet. If good boundaries weren't going to work with Mary, then perhaps appropriate timing would. Since Mary knew who Jesus was, her son and the son of God, it's fascinating and I think fabulous that she didn't buy either of Jesus's arguments or cave to his protests. 
Instead, she completely ignored him and told the servants, do whatever he tells you to, wink. What moxie and courage. Mary isn't interested in having a theological argument with her son. She knew this was the time to seize the day and help people in a way only her beloved son could. The text doesn't give us every detail of what happened, but I suspect Mary walked away after speaking with the servants. I think she gave her son some space to decide if he was going to follow her compassion and wisdom or not. Turning water into wine was Jesus' first miracle. It takes energy and oftentimes a lot of guts to try something new. Do you think Jesus wondered if he could really turn the water into wine? Do you think he worried about what would happen if he failed or looked foolish in front of the servants, his friends and family? Jesus was fully human and it's completely normal for humans to be nervous when they try something new. But even though Jesus was likely at least a little anxious, he decided to listen to his mom, step out of his comfort zone, and set aside his timeline. The results of Jesus' willingness to try something new at the wedding were abundance and joy. He turned between 100 and 200 gallons of water into wine, and not just everyday wine. Upon tasting the wine, the wedding planner exclaimed to the groom, Everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the two-buck chuck only when the guests are already a bit tipsy. But you kept the good wine until now. It probably shouldn't surprise us that Jesus made not just enough wine or okay wine. After all, John tells us in the opening words of his gospel that Jesus came bringing us grace upon grace. In other words, grace overflowing. Or as Jesus would say about himself later, I came so that they would have life. Indeed, so that they would live life to the fullest. Jesus wants us to have abundant, full, joyful life. And he will do what it takes to offer us these gifts. In that moment, at that wedding, to bring fullness of life to everyone celebrating meant turning water into not just ordinary wine, but extraordinary wine. I was listening to a podcast by a theologian I appreciate this week. Recently, he woke up in the morning and decided to try coffee for the first time ever. He's 50 years old, but never really had any interest in coffee until that moment. So he got dressed, walked down to the corner coffee shop, and stood in line. As he waited, he noticed his stomach was a little upset and realized he was nervous. He was worried he wasn't going to be able to order correctly. Finally, he got to the front of the line and blurted out, Do you have any coffee from Yemen? Sounds absolutely crazy, right? The reason he was asking and trying coffee for the first time was because he had just finished a book about coffee in Yemen. He realized his question was probably ludicrous, especially because of the long line of people behind him. But instead of mocking his inquiry, the barista responded, Sometimes we do, but it's a seasonal coffee, so not right now. The 50-year-old theologian was so shocked, he responded, I asked because I just read this book about coffee in Yemen. Again, there's a long line behind him, but the words just stumbled out. Instead of nudging him along to pick another alternate coffee, the barista replied, Oh my gosh, I just read that book too. 
Don't worry, the theologian did eventually order his coffee. But consider how much joy he received from being willing to try something new. He received the joy of connecting with a stranger, of learning more about something that interested him, of his first taste of, quote, delicious nectar, as he now calls coffee. He got all of that goodness simply because he was willing to try something new. This time, when Rob the theologian and Jesus tried something new, they both immediately succeeded. But that wasn't the case every time they tried something new for the first time. When Jesus learned to walk, he stumbled and fell, because that's how humans learn to walk. When he learned to read and write, there was also a learning curve, because that's how it works when we're learning. I'm sure Mary could tell story after story of her son trying something new and not getting it perfect the first time. Sometimes we let the need for perfection get in the way of us seizing opportunities to do new things. We worry about how we'll be perceived if we fail when we're trying. We worry that it won't be fun or a good experience. We come up with a list of arguments a mile long about why we shouldn't break out of our comfort zones or speed up our timelines. But some days, to be fair, not all the time, but sometimes we just need to try new things. We need to listen to the voices of people we trust and love, encouraging us to seize the day and try something that sounds a little scary or risky. Since Jesus started with wine, maybe that's where you could start too. To be fair, I try new wines frequently and not every bottle is a winner. But just this week, I found a new favorite. That's just one silly little example of where you might start with trying something new. But I hope that you will spend time praying and thinking and considering what new thing you might try. Let's try new things as individuals, as households, as churches. Let's try new things because doing so helps us to be like Jesus. And when we hang out with Jesus, there is abundance and joy for everyone. And sometimes even really good wine. Thanks for joining me today, Filled With Messages friends. The theologian to whom I refer in this message who tried coffee for the first time recently is Rob Bell, and you can listen to him on his podcast, The Robcast. As you go from here, may you try something new, and even if you don't try it perfectly, may you delight in the joys of newness and of trying things and of following in Jesus's footsteps. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Talk to you soon. Goodbye.